1: Our first lesson today comes from the 85th Psalm, which will be read in its entirety. Listen now to the Word of God. Lord, You were favorable to Your land, and You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of Your people, and You pardoned all their sin. You withdrew all Your wrath, and You turned from Your hot anger. Restore us again, O God, of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace to His people, to His faithful, to those who turn to Him in their hearts. Surely His salvation is at hand for those who fear Him, that His glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet, righteousness and peace will kiss each other, Faithfulness will spring up from the ground, and the righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him and will make a path for His steps. And this is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
0: I invite you to stand in body or in spirit that we may hear these words from Scripture from Luke's Gospel in the 11th chapter. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I hate having nothing for him to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Even though he will not get up and give you anything because he is friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I ask you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Is there anyone who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if a child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more the Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Over the past few weeks, you no doubt have heard and seen and noticed all of the many calls to prayer that have been issued for the things that have happened in the world. Horrible, awful, tragic events that have occurred in our nation and around the world. And very often the response to them that we hear Is a call to prayer. There are so many places and so many people. And I think those are good and necessary. And I'd like to explore in today's sermon and over the next several weeks how it is that we pray and what it is we pray for and to whom we are praying and how we have that happen. I know that people in this church pray. I know that you pray daily. Maybe you have a time of set devotion. Maybe your prayers come as circumstances call out in times and places. I know that you pray weekly. Thursday morning at 7:15, there's a group of men who meet in the parlor for breakfast and for prayer and for a program. They've been doing it for 21 years. And as they do it, they have a deep spiritual presence. 18 to 25 men for the last 21 years, every week of the year, save those Thanksgiving holidays and Christmas and maybe Fourth of July, but 49 or 50 weeks out of the year, they gather and they pray. And recently, Um, A member gave a a summary, a history of that that time together. And afterwards, he said to me, says, Joel, I'm not sure that I really captured how important this group is to the spiritual life of those who gather. But it is. I know it is. You can sense it. And I would lay out there to anyone who would like to come to that gathering to please do so this week at 715. I know there are groups of women in this church that pray, who gather weekly or monthly to study and to pray and to be together. I know that. We do a whole lot of praying in this church. We do a lot of that. But how often do we stop and do we talk about it? So for the next several Sundays, we will be thinking about prayer as a focus in our worship, and we will be using different prayers to help shape our conversation and our practice. Today, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. Next Sunday, the Serenity Prayer, and then the Prayer of St. Francis, and then the 23rd Psalm as a prayer. I'll share some information about that in the sermon, but more importantly, what I would like to happen, What I would trust and hope and, yes, even pray would happen would be that somehow these words of prayer become for you tools and instruments for your own prayer life, not simply on Sunday morning but on Monday morning and on Wednesday night and on Thursday in the middle of the night, that these might come to you as a way of remembering who you are and how God has called you to be. The writer of fantasy, a fiction, and a Christian apologetics, C.S. Lewis, is quoted as saying, I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all of the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes me. These words come from the movie Shadowlands, which is based on Lewis's life, and it tells his real-life story of his marriage. Late in his life, he was a bachelor until late in his life, when he married a woman named Joy. Lewis was a confirmed Christian, a very eloquent writer and speaker of how Christ came into the world, but he married Joy. Who is an atheist and a communist. And they lived together. And so, shortly after their marriage, she developed cancer. And eventually she died. This line, God, prayer changes me, comes in a, a conversation that Lewis is having with Jack, Joy's son. Now, some dispute whether or not Lewis actually said these words. But in a sense, I think they are worthwhile. We attribute to God all the words. God is almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing. Yet we as humans have trouble connecting with God sometimes. We have trouble finding how we penetrate through those all words, those big words. How do we connect with that? I think that by changing us, by learning how we can change. Our relationship with God is changed, and our relationship with each other is changed. And that is something important. How do we pray? How do we pray in this world where these awful things are happening around us? The Lord's Prayer offers three movements of prayer. It speaks of God's name, of God's kingdom, and of God's will. And those three movements shape how Jesus taught the disciples to pray and from whom we can learn, I think. The disciples grew up and around Jesus and, and, and listened to Jesus. They prayed. They knew something about prayer, but yet they had a sense that they wanted something more from their prayer. And so they ask Jesus to teach them. There are in the Gospels two versions of the Lord's Prayer. One that is from Luke that I just read a few minutes ago, and the other is from Matthew 6, which we base our prayer that we use in our worship service on. The Matthew version um, is, is familiar, but the Luke version is one that gives us some good cause In it, Jesus says that God is the kind of God that provides for us. God is the kind of God who will provide for us not as a grudging neighbor that we need to borrow something for in the middle of the night, but God will provide for us as one who loves us and who provides all that is necessary. Or as the message translation renders this, the section about the children, says, if your little boy asks you for a serving of fish, do you serve him a snake on the plate? If your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a spider? God's plan is much better than that, says Jesus. God is not malicious. God is not malevolent. God is not capricious or spiteful. God will provide what is needed. That is what Jesus is trying to share with us. And so we learn this through how we call call God and how we understand God wants the world to be and how we may live into that desire. Father in heaven our father who art in heaven the word that comes from the hebrew and is used in the new Te- in the greek new testament is abba abba is that call to, God, to to father who is there a number of years ago my family uh, a family in our neighborhood where we lived was moving to israel they were jewish and they had lived in israel for a while they'd come to the united states and they were moving back to israel and but we were invited our family was invited to their home for an evening of meal as they prepared to depart and i was standing in the, in the house and one of the children of the household ran up to her father and she said abba and i don't remember what she said after that but i had never thought of it that way abba is is not just a word of the bible it is a word of common use it is a word of use that we hear today, Father, a, a call, Daddy, a, a Papa, a, a, a name of, of intention and, and connection, but is not simply a human father that Jesus asked us to pray to. It is Father in heaven, our Father who is in heaven. It is a powerful reminder. It is a relationship of depth, but it is not a relationship of gender. There are a number of places in the Bible where there are different ways we speak of God. The Lord is my shepherd from Psalm 23. There is no one like the Lord, no one beside you. There there is no rock like our God. Hannah prays to God in 1 Samuel 2. The prophet Isaiah Uses, provides the words of the Lord as he says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted, O Jerusalem. And the Lord spoke to Moses from a bush that burned what, but was not consumed and said, when the people and the Egyptians ask, who sent you? You will say the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The name of God is a relationship It is enfolded in our human understanding and our human ability. It is a way that we connect to God and to each other through our relationships and through our human understanding. These ways of describing God speak of our connection. They speak of the way in which God reaches out to us and we reach out to God And we learn and we grow from them. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom is what we pray for. To speak of kingdom is to speak about the ways in which there is social order in the world. It is, if you will, a kind of political statement Thy kingdom come. We are intensely aware that we are in a political season right now. And if we're really honest with ourselves, it seems like we always are. We don't finish one election cycle before they start talking about the next one. But we are in this season. And with the presidential nominating conventions that are in full swing, we have ample opportunity to see how religious language and faith language is used in our own national political currency. But in the United States in 2016, we don't live in a kingdom where there is a king. We have a government, a Republican democracy. That means that you and I don't vote on every single item that comes before the government. We elect commissioners and representatives to take our concerns and to deal with them. They take them to the school board and to the town commission. They deal with them in the legislatures in Montgomery and in Atlanta. They deal with them in the state houses. They deal with them in Washington as congressmen and senators meet together. And we have a role, as we know now, in our election of our president. It is not a kingdom like the kingdoms of old, but it is a place of rule Our founding fathers were pretty clear that we don't live in a kingdom. But while we don't have that, we do have this place of rule. There are rules and orders and practices. And that is what our prayer for God's kingdom to come is about. May God's kingdom, may God's rule on earth be as it is on heaven. God's rule, when you look and the Gospels in particular, God's rule is kind of challenging, if we're really honest. There are different places where Jesus taught things that may strike us as odd or maybe um, leave us wanting. The first shall be last. Children will teach adults. That's what Matthew 18 speaks of. Servants will be greater than those they serve. Recognized religious leaders, you know, people that wear robes and stuff, recognized religious leaders will be dispossessed. The humble will be exalted. The marginalized will inherit the kingdom of God. I would submit to you that is not necessarily a practical political program. If anyone really wants to enact the program of Jesus, these kinds of things are the things you would do if we were following that literally. Al Wynn, who is a Presbyterian teacher and professor, wrote that this petition of the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He wrote of it this, it is not appropriate for the world we live in but it is utterly appropriate for the world we hope for. We have hope that the way in which the world is now will be different from the way that God's rule comes to us. God's rule is for something that we cannot completely see or comprehend or understand. God's will. God's will is not for the world to be destroyed. God's will is that the world shall be saved. John three sixteen and 17, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world that those who believe in him shall be saved. God did not send the son into the world to destroy the world, but that the world might be saved. George Buttrick, Summarize Jesus' prayer this way. God's will be done to me. That is a note of resignation. God's will be done through me. That's a call to enlistment and service. God's will be done for me and for all others. That is a note of joyous anticipation, a note of hope. Thy will be done to me. Thy will be done for me. Thy will be done through me. Sometimes it is said that Jesus learned how to pray in a school of prayer. It was a rough and a tumble world that received Jesus where he was born in that manger in Bethlehem and where he lived and carried out his ministry in Galilee and finally in Jerusalem. The petitions of thy will be done are stained with sweat and with blood. But thy will be done. Those stains are not our stains. Those stains of sweat and blood are those of Jesus. There are things that Jesus asks for or tells us to ask for. Give us our daily bread. Notice that this is not a request for a lifetime, not that we might win the lottery and have bread for the rest of our life. Bread spoils. We need to nourish the bread that we have. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The reason that we Presbyterians use the debt language as opposed to the trespass language is that we draw from our tradition from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Our Anglican and Methodist uh, brothers and sisters in faith draw from the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. But they both speak to something about transgression. But debt has a sense of weightiness a, a, way, a sense of, of, of uh, owing something. Debt has a, a power that will hold us and bind us. You may have heard, you have maybe even have said, and I have struggled with this myself, I can forgive, but I cannot forget. I think when we say that, we need to remind ourselves that forgiving is not about condoning bad behavior. Forgiving is about establishing justice. Forgiving is about establishing and making things right. And it is only once we have made things right that we can move to a new place in our relationship, a place of mercy. Forgiveness is about a new relationship in life. God's will is that we might live with a new relationship in life and in goodness. That may sound good, you may say, but preacher, tell me, how can it be done? How can we move calling upon God's name, looking to God's kingdom, seeking God's will? How can we do that in this world where there is violence and there is destruction and there is horror all around us? We need to realize and acknowledge that there is a problem with evil in the world and we cannot simply blow it off. Al Nguyen made a comment in his book on the, where he was talking about the Lord's Prayer. The problem of evil is much greater than the problem of your sins and mine, though those are great. The problem of evil is bigger than you and me, and so often we tend to want to diminish the problem of evil, We want to make it go away. In a sense, we have forgotten what it is. The world is a dangerous place, and it is probably more dangerous now than ever before, more in the grip of evil than ever before. Those were Wynne's sentiments. And he didn't write this last week. He wrote those words in 1990, 26 years ago. The world is a dangerous place. The nature of that danger continues to unfold around us, and we see it in new and startling ways. But knowing that God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will is there for us, we can use those to shape our prayer as Jesus taught us, as followers of Jesus, for that is who we are. And we cannot pretend to be anything else. We need to follow Jesus in the example that Jesus gave us. That is the tool that we have. These are not simply nice words that we say every Sunday or every so often. They engage us in a world that is full of ugliness and difficulty. They are formed by Jesus as he wrestled with challenges and uncertainty and anxiety. God's name is great. God's kingdom is to come. God's will may be done. We join together in this prayer, not because we are convinced that there's a therefore at the end of the sentence. Therefore, if you say these things, everything will be all right. We join together in this prayer because we believe and we trust that nevertheless, God's rule will prevail. God's love is real. God's hope will sustain and remain with us every single day. May we continue to pray this day and always thanks be to god amen it's been a privilege to join you this day in worship we're glad that you were here first presbyterian church seeks to serve and minister in the name of jesus christ may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord be kind and gracious to you may the lord look upon you with favor go in peace as you love and serve god